Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome along to the show with me, Justin Briley. This is the programme where we bring you interviews with Christians from all walks of life. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you today, Dr. Phil Fernandez. Before we meet him, let me tell you that the profile is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. And if you'd like a free sample copy of the latest edition of the mag, please go to their website and simply ask for one at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, today's edition of The Profile was recorded at Quilsing Bible Church in the northwest part of Washington state. Uh, I was there for a special miracles conference debating contemporary and biblical miracle claims. But on the Sunday, uh, I was able to sit down uh, in the afternoon for a special event at the church interviewing Dr. Phil Fernandez. Uh, You're going to be hearing that on the program today. Uh, Phil is the senior pastor of Trinity Bible Fellowship and the founder and president of the Institute of Biblical Defense. It's an apologetics ministry which trains Christians in the defence of the faith. Uh, Dr Fernandez has earned a PhD in philosophy of religion from Greenwich University. He's lectured and debated in defence of the Christian faith on college campuses and in public schools all over the USA and he currently teaches philosophy and apologetics. His books include The Atheist Delusion, Seven Great Apologists and many others and in fact you can find thousands of Phil's talks, sermons and debates uh, all available at sermonaudio.com. So this is me just Justin Briley in conversation with Dr. Phil Fernandez at Quilcene Bible Church. Nice to, to see you all. Thank you for coming out this afternoon. Um, and a big thank you from myself and Phil and Dr. Sean George, who will be up later, uh, for the invitation to come and share some time with you here at Quilcene Bible Church. I was here for this morning's worship, and it was so nice to, to meet with you all and, uh, and see how you do things here. Um, So my name is uh, Justin. Um, I was uh, hosting the conference yesterday. If you were there, you will have uh, obviously experienced that. And um, Luke um, did a fantastic job in the debate in the the evening as well uh, against Michael Shermer. Uh, So it was really fun to be here for that. Uh, Even though sort of the time difference is about eight hours between the UK and here. So by about eight o'clock in the evening, when we were midway into the debate... It was effectively four in the morning UK time. So I had some coffee to help me through that. Um, but it was, it was really good. I, I mean, despite my own jet lag, it, was, it, it really you know, kept me captured. So I was really glad to be here, really glad to share with you today, and very glad to be joined by um, Dr. Phil Fernandez. Um, I, I, I won't use the phrase Dr. Phil, because I think that's a yeah. TV show, yeah. isn't it? But, that's, um, the, that's the other guy. <laughs> but... Um, Phil, Phil um, is an apologist, a, a Christian thinker, he's an author, he's done loads of debates and sermons and talks, uh, and it's the first time we've met in person, no. Phil, but, but I have heard of you and seen your stuff, and uh, it's been great to, to get to know you, you know, in the, in the time we've got to know each other. So this is an opportunity, really, to, to meet Phil um, and to hear your story. So we're going to talk about your background, how you came to faith and all the work you've been doing since in the area of what we technically call Christian apologetics, though we'll, we'll try and use as few technical terms as possible as we, as we talk this afternoon. But um, Phil, tell me, um, what was life like growing up? What was your background? And I think as soon as we hear your fantastic New Jersey accent, we'll yeah. get a bit of a sense of, of, of where you've come from. Well, yeah, I, I still have some of it left, but uh, <laughs> my wife couldn't understand me when... Uh, we first started dating, but uh, but whatever the case, uh, I guess it all started on uh, January 1st, 1960. Mm-hmm. That was the day I was born. And uh, born the first day in 1960, then the whole country went down the tube. So, <laughs> But uh, but I was uh, the grandson of uh, Portuguese immigrants and Italian immigrants. I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey, and... Uh, and uh, it was a Roman Catholic family. The uh, My... My Portuguese uh, uh, side of my family are very traditional Roman Catholics, they, but they're they're Bible reading Roman Catholics, almost like evangelicals, except for Our Lady of Fatima. It was a big right. deal for them. And then, um, uh, but my mother's side of the family, you know, be more likely to find one of them in the mafia than in that mass. So, <laughs> so there was that that kind of tension. But I never, you know, I started, you know, made my first communion, made my confirmation. I really wasn't sure I believed. Uh, the Shroud of Turin stuck in the 
back of my mind. I remember reading a Reader's Digest article, and once I found out, I was looking at a photographic negative of the shroud, not the shroud itself. I just, I just knew that the, the fraud hypothesis just wasn't there. So in the back of my mind, it was like, uh, as I became skeptical as a senior in high school and a couple years after that, um, had a very influential uh, atheist teacher, Dr. Athenaeus, creative writing teacher, and without even trying to proselytize me, I was became skeptical in my views. And uh, but in the back of my mind was was this Jesus thing in the Shroud of Turin. wasn't quite sure about. Uh, and I was skeptical, but uh, and back in Jersey, I didn't know it back then. I just I just liked to hit people, but they. They, um, like, they opened, literally hit people? Well, they used the churches and uh, the police athletic leagues opened up gyms to where you could box, and I didn't know it was to keep kids off the street. I didn't know. When you, <laughs> when you grow up in a neighborhood, you don't know it's a tough neighborhood until you leave the neighborhood, <laughs> and then everybody thinks you're, uh, you know, a, a threat. And uh, But uh, so I grew up boxing in New Jersey, and it wasn't really good at it, And uh, but... Yeah, I hit hard, and I enjoyed boxing, but I wasn't getting anywhere with my boxing. I graduated high school. My friends all got, you know, scholarships for football, but there's no, there were no scholarships for boxing. So, um, um, so I ended, ended up being a light heavyweight from the gym that I uh, boxed at from the police athletic league, Caldwell Police Athletic League, and um, I was almost going to say his name, but uh, but uh, but he talked me into going in the uh, Marine Corps with them on the buddy system, okay. where wherever you get stationed, he'd go with you, and he'd at least have your buddy with you. So he was all gung-ho about becoming a Marine. I could care less. I just wanted a ticket out of Jersey. And, uh, but then I showed up to take the oath, and he didn't show up. All right. And so it was just me and five strangers. I thought, okay, uh, <laughs> just threw away three years of my life. And, you know, I was questioning God's existence, but, you know, Marine Corps boot camp, you know, in New Jersey, they teach you, you know, somebody badmouths your mother or your family, you take them down, take them down hard. And, uh, and, um, and here are my drill instructors. That's all they're doing is badmouthing my family and stuff, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not allowed to hit them back. Now, the guy I was supposed to go in the Marine Corps with, he changed his mind and went in a month later. Right. Talked some idiot into beating up the drill instructor. Oh, wow. And then going UA unauthorized absence, so he ended up doing a lot of brig time wow. and uh, and a lot of time in and out of uh, of uh, yeah yeah he had a he had a, uh, he had a rough life, but but the, the Lord kind of protected me from all this mm. stuff, mm. Oh, the 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 mafia stuff. And did you know my mother's cousin headed the East Coast action for the Genovese family, one of the five major crime families. And um, yeah, we didn't even know it because my father steered us away from that. You know, you'd be at a you'd be at a funeral and I, some guy walk in with nice hair, his wife's with a, he's got gold all over, her wife with a mink stole. And I said, well, "Who's he?" That's ah, your, that's uh, your mother's cousin. <laughs> well, what does he do for a living? Uh, he's a businessman. <laughs> well, what business is he in? Uh, come over here. I want to introduce you to something. And he always introduced me to somebody I already knew. He quickly steered yeah. you away from that side of the family. Yeah, so, right. so yeah. it was kind of, uh, I was real protected. And it turned out that uh, my mother's cousin, because of my dad's devout Catholicism, he told his guys that nobody messes with, the, he called my dad the priest. Right. Nobody messes with the priest boy, so they never tried to. So we were in, me and my brother Mark were busy doing disorganized crime. Right. So we didn't even realize that there was possibility of organized crime. So, God, so I could see God's protective hand over me on that, protecting me from not going to boot camp with this one buddy yeah. that probably would have got me in trouble. And um, but um, but we had, I, I, we had I, I, I was going to say I have met some interesting characters who were in the mafia and are now Christians. You know, yeah, you're uh, probably for, aware. Uh, of uh, Michael Fran- Michael Francis. Francis he, he, yeah, I've interviewed he, him about his. Stories. He's the real deal. I've never yeah. met him, but I uh, read his stuff. And he's the real deal. A lot yeah, of yeah. wannabes. God protected me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure he knew uh, some of the Genovese and all. I think he was mm-hmm. from the. I think he was from the Bonanno family, one yeah. of the other five yeah. major crime families. But he's legit. He is the only big-time mafia leader to get out and not have to go in witness protection yeah. and to still live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so God worked. He came yeah. to Christ, and yeah. God worked it out. All the guys that wanted him dead are either in prison for life or dead. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. exactly. But, so. but back to your story, because um, you, you'd, you'd got into the 
uh, the Marines. And in a way, that was pretty tough by the sounds of it. Some people, they say, you know, that kind of thing is the making of them. What was the effect on, on you of the, the Marine life? It was kind of mixed because I thought I was going to get in shape, but because I was a New Jersey boxer, I weighed 135 when I went in. <laughs> And I gained 20 pounds in boot camp. Right. Everybody else lost 20 pounds. So I, I lost my six-pack abs. I never did get them back. Came out of boot camp with a big gut. Everybody else was losing weight. But they didn't know that I was a New Jersey boxer. So I was getting out right. of shape in Marine yeah, Corps yeah. boot camp. But it was the head games, you know, because I thought I was a tough guy. And guys who think they're tough guy. And I know it's hard. You know, I'm only five foot five, So, I mean, how tough can you be when you're five foot five? But I learned to manipulate the bigger guys and get yeah, them yeah. to work for you yeah. and then just take out the little guys. But uh, <laughs> but whatever the case, um, in um, uh, Marine Corps boot camp, I put on this extra weight, and then Ronald Reagan got elected while I was in boot camp. This was uh, uh, October through uh, the January 1st of uh, 1980. Reagan got elected, so Ayatollah Khomeini was coughing up the hostages. So I, I thought, you know, hey, you know, they're going to pay me to kill guys I don't know, but they're going to pay me, you know. Yeah. It's a ticket out of Jersey. Uh, so then all of a sudden we became a peacetime Marine Corps, and they sent me up to Bangor to guard nukes. And you have so many Marines guarding nuclear weapons when there's missile movements that nobody is going to mess with, with you, and, mm. and you know that. Mm. So I actually thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. And so it was actually a search for meaning right. that led me to Christ, uh, not a search for truth. I didn't care about truth. And mm. so I was looking for meaning. Life just didn't seem to make sense. And uh, try one thing, tried another. And eventually I thought, well, you know, my dad found meaning in the Catholic Church. So I started going back to Catholic Church. And a middle-aged lady invited us Marines over her house for a home-cooked meal. And we couldn't turn it down, so we went there. And she's got pic- paintings of Jesus all over the wall. We're like, oh, man, we've been had, you know. <laughs> and, then, um, and then she knew we were a tough crowd. We were all guys, uh, you know, from, uh, from Boston and from Jersey and New York. So she, she just figured she'd just play Christian music, cook, and say, <laughs> I have a friend, and he wants to talk to you. And he was a prison. He was a, he's an ex-convict. He did eight years in prison, I thought. You know, it sounds like somebody I could respect. So, uh, <laughs> so the guy came over and talked with us, invited us to a prayer meeting, which turned out to be the prayer meeting of uh, my uh, my wife's parents right. at a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, I went there, I think it was that Tuesday night, and I was confronted with the gospel message. And I had already been searching. I was reading everything from Hal Lindsey books to whatever. And I was looking for answers, looking for meaning. And then when um, he explained the gospel message that, you know, I just needed to, to trust in, in, in Jesus uh, for salvation. And I, I, I said, yeah, you know, it's all, I know it's all true, but I'm just not ready yet. There's some things i got to clean up in my life. And I was, you know, doing some stuff um, that uh, I, I thought if I, ex- if I accepted Jesus as my Savior and then the very next sin, I'd lose it. Mm. And, uh, but a guy told me, look, you're never going to be clean enough for Jesus. you just got to come as you are. And Jesus will clean you up. And I thought, man. So I ran out of arguments. I didn't know what they were. They were, you know, kind of like hyper-Pentecostals, the charismatic guys. So they were, like, laying hands on me. And <laughs> I thought they were speaking Spanish. I didn't know anything about <laughs> tongues. But so all I knew was, all right, if I'm going to trust in Jesus. Uh, so I just kept saying, Lamb of God. <laughs> Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have mercy on me, you know. I said it my whole life, but I never believed it. And, uh. And so that's how I trust in Jesus for salvation. Then it took me two years of studying the Bible where I realized I need to get out of Catholicism and uh, I need to get out of the charismatic movement and, uh, and just from my understanding of the scriptures. And I needed to get rebaptized. And, uh, and, um, but as I met, met my, uh, my wife and um, she loved the Lord and she had to... A, a daughter that I adopted and everything, and I knew I was gonna, you know, I knew I was gonna marry her, and so it also dawned on me, well, I'm not going back to Jersey, and my family thought I was coming back to Jersey, but, but I stayed, um, stayed out in Washington State, and then um, um, 
and God really put it on my heart to start taking Bible courses uh, through distance. That was Liberty University. had a great program, and I used to go there two weeks out of the year. Got to be good friends with Gary Habermas. Mm. They rekindled my interest in the Shroud of Turin and evidence for Jesus' resurrection. And Marines had, in my last, my two years as a believer in the Marine Corps, they had a lot of objections. So I had, it forced me to do apologetics. Right. And, um, but I was just, you know, kind of studying to be a, a preacher someday and, uh, and just debates just kind of fell in my lap. And right. uh, so first one was in 1987 and 1989. And, and, um, but eventually I started my church, planted my church in 88, just a, about a, dozen people after the first year and i and i was really doing a lot of apologetic preaching not just saying this is what the bible teaches Mm. but here's the evidence for it Mm. and i realized i was preaching way over their heads so i figured i got to meet my people where they're at yeah so i needed to start the institute of biblical defense on the side and that's where i started doing my apologetic stuff just training others to defend the faith and stuff and one thing led to another ended up in a debate with Jeffrey J. Louder. Just to explain who he is and, and what the significance yeah, he, of that, that he, big debate was that well, you had. Later on, he founded, when he was an adult, I should say, he founded Internet Infidels, mm. the world's largest atheist website at the time. But at the time I ran into him, I was supposed to debate. I used to speak at Central Kitsap High School and defend creationism against evolution. And... Um, and I wanted to debate one of their teachers, and he agreed to debate me. His name was Mr. Turner, really nice guy, but he was an atheist, and he had a master's degree in philosophy. And and um, but then, so they had this big event where they're going to have all these different debates, and we were going to be the the primary debate, you know, several days long. And they, I got a phone call. I said, "We got bad news and good news. Bad news, Mr. Turner can't do the debate because his wife died." just uh, yesterday or whatever. So it was just a couple days before. I said, oh, that's horrible. They said, good news, we got a replacement. I said, well, who's that? And he said, well, the captain of our high school debate team. I'm like, I got nothing to gain by debating a high schooler and everything to lose because I was, you know, pastor in a church. And, and um, but then my colleagues told me it was, was going to look really bad if I bail out of a debate because of the death of a guy's wife. Mm. And so I took the debate and, and Jeff, Jeff, Louder was the guy that I debated, and he was a smart kid, but he, I got him from atheistic evolution. He became a theistic evolutionist during the debate. <laughs> then it was like, oh, oh no, now I'm in a debate that I didn't prepare for. You know, so it was, just, it was really crazy. But whatever the case, he began to rise in the ranks. And, in fact, he taught a lot of the guys that debate now in the atheist circuit. They weren't trained in debate. He was the captain of his debate team. And, and years later, you would meet him again in debate. Yeah, but, but bef- this time, once he had kind of, as it were, he had his full atheist. Well, when he was doing, yeah, when he was doing Internet Infidels and it already established, he contacted me to debate Dr. Michael Martin, the philosophy professor from Boston University. He uh, Martin originated a lot of the atheist stuff that you heard last mm. last night from uh, the atheist philosophers. Like atheism is not a, a worldview; it's just a lack of belief. Mm. We don't have the burden of proof. He redefined atheism in the. 1990s, and uh, but he wrote Atheism, a Philosophical Justification and the Case Against Christianity, and they were used as textbooks at a lot of seminaries right. to show, okay, this is the best. This is the, the philosophically the best that the atheists have to offer. Mm. And, uh, and so I had the privilege of debating him over the internet where they were yeah. you know, blindly presented statements. Yeah. And we turned it into a book. We only got permission to do a thousand copies. He didn't want any more than a thousand copies. So you can still buy used ones online, but it's theism versus atheism, the Internet debate. Oh, yeah. People like Frank Tarek uh, have used it to, uh, to train, help them yeah. to, to yeah. do it, like for when he debated Christopher Hitchens. And uh, um, I think Paul Copan quoted from that debate when he was refuting Michael Martin's view on, on morality and things of that sort. So that kind of put me on the map. That was 1997. And then... Uh, Real quickly, then, I got asked to go to September 1999, um, a major atheist uh, uh, conference at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and to debate Jeffrey J. Louder once again. Mm-hmm. But the whole crowd, there were like 200 atheists, and Richard Howe, who I had never met before, I had met his brother 
from Southern Evangelical Seminary brought about six of his students <laughs> and some campus crusade for Christ showed up. So there was about a, about a dozen Christians and 200 <laughs> atheists, some of the world's leading thinkers. Paul Kurtz was there yeah, yeah. who edited the Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2 and then wrote Humanist Manifesto 2000. I think that's probably where he got most of his signatures since it was <laughs> September 1999. I met Michael Martin there who I had debated online two years earlier. Dan Barker was there. Eddie Tabosh, a lot of guys that I later debated, and um, and that went real well because they my they didn't know my, who my wife was, <laughs> so uh, guys would be turning to when I'd be speaking, the guy would turn to the other guy and say, uh, "Well, how would you respond to that?" And the guy say, "I don't know." And your and, wife was that too. And my wife's hearing it <laughs> after the third or fourth time. The guy said, "Look, I said I don't know, okay." <laughs> and then they, we took a break, and I was in the stall. And I could hear two guys at the urinals, and one was saying, well, uh, how do you think it's going right now? And the other guy said, um, well, the good thing is I don't think anybody's going to change their mind. And so, <laughs> and so, so I know I did, did pretty good yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, now, the Q&A at the end was a little weird because I knew, you know, I had given quotes from Colin Patterson, and the guys said, well, I knew Colin Patterson before he died. I was his colleague and blah, blah, you know. So it's just like I had to be a little evasive in, in some of those questions. But then after that, I debated Dan Barker, Bellevue Community College, in um, February 29th of 2000. Because uh, I remember February 29th, only every once every four years. And, um, and Dan Barker's buddies with uh, Michael Shermer and the whole crew. And then Elliot Ratzman, if... Um, Princeton called me up, the Princeton Atheist Group, and they were supposed to have a guy to debate William Lane Craig. All right. Well, they couldn't find a guy with the courage to debate William Lane Craig, so he spoke unopposed, and it caused a little revival there oh, really? at Princeton. Wow. So the atheists were upset, so they told Craig, just name the price, we'll pay you, just come back. Right. We found a guy to debate you, Elliot Ratzman, one of our PhD students. And Craig said, no, I got a full schedule. You know, you, you guys had your chance. Yeah, yeah. So they were frantic. So they went to Jeffrey J. Louder, and he said, Fernandez is the guy. Okay. So they called me up, and I said, look, I'm, I'm busy now. I'm teaching on a high school level, teaching guys like Luke Vanaway, Hans Vader. So my work cut out for me there. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, you know, I'm from New Jersey. So I said, I tell you what, you do it during the spring vacation – and you guys fly me out a week early and fly me back a week late, and you don't even have to pay for a hotel. Mm. And you fly my wife out with me, you don't even have to pay me, mm. you know, mm. the, the honorarium, although they did anyway. And so I debated Elliot Ratzman, and, uh, um, yeah, he did, not do, he did not do well at all. Um, the crowd was very receptive. I was mm. really wow. surprised for Princeton, so... So I've done debates with Eddie Tabash over the years yeah. in so, Washington so you, State you're University. Kind of, you've got a lot of experience under your belt with, with these debates in front of crowds. Um, what, I mean, are there any similarities between stepping into a boxing ring with someone and stepping into a kind of debate environment when you're a, opposite yeah, an atheist? Yeah, I get the same, I get the same adrenaline pump. For boxing, I don't know if it was for my own safety or, or you know, I know I got I to gotta beat him down or he's going to beat me down. <laughs> and boxing's crazy because you gotta, usually got to, in an old beat-up locker room, you got to walk down a long hallway and it's quiet. And as soon as they open the doors, you hear the crowd <laughs> cheering the, the fight that's coming up. And then they glance and take a look at you when you're walking <laughs> in to see if you look like you're a fighter or not. With debate, I get that same kind of feeling, but it's not so much uh, nervousness about... Um, about like my reputation or anything. It just I don't want to let the Lord down. Right. And um, and so like for instance, I don't. Uh, I only take debates. I've turned down an awful lot of debates in churches. Right. Um, if it's against a non-Christian, mm-hmm. because most of the people that come will be Christian. Right. And it could cause a stumbling block if I don't do well. And uh, so I'd rather debate on in, in, in behind enemy turf in on, on universities, yeah, where, you, where a lot of non-Christians will turn up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, and um, and so, uh, but it, but there's there's always that concern about you know, am I going to let somebody down? College, the university campuses, um, even when I felt like I didn't do as 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 good as I could have done, I've been told by like you know crew leaders, you know, old campus mm-hmm. crusade for Christ leaders, they say, look. 
they've been getting slammed right. by their professor yeah. for the past two semesters. Just having someone stand up there. Just to have somebody yeah. responding yeah. to these. Yeah. Uh, it just, just, they're, they're yeah. leaving here with their heads yeah. held high. Yeah. And uh, so to go behind, you know, enemy lines, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it, Probably Bellevue Community College was the worst, man. I thought they were going to lynch me. And, uh, what happened? But what, I, I think Dan Barker stacks the deck. Right. So uh, he's got this nationwide uh, Free, freedom, atheist argument. Freedom from Religion yeah, Foundation. Yeah, isn't yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, uh, so um, so he, Barker would make a really dumb point that made no sense at all. And the whole crowd would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then the, and then in that debate, too, there's one part where uh, – um, I asked him, I said, how much does a thought weigh? And the whole crowd started laughing at me. They're like, oh, stupid Christian thinks you can weigh a thought. But I, you know, I did research on yeah, yeah. Dan Barker. And he yeah. said, well, you can weigh a thought. Mm. And then they got real quiet. And I said, well, so you're saying a thought is just a chemical reaction that occurs inside somebody's brain? And he said, yeah, yeah, basically. And then I said, well, why are you so tough on Timothy McVeigh? This was before 9-11. Right. So you used Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing mm. as an example of evil. Why would mm. God allow evil? And I said, why are you so tough on Timothy McVeigh when he was just responding to a brain squirt? Mm. And so my, my point is, look, if, if I catch a cold, nobody gets mad at me. That's biologically determined. Mm. But if materialism is true, then, then the choice to kill humans or to love humans. Those are all biologically determined, you yeah. know. It leaves no room for, for human free will. And, um, but, um, but, yeah, that was an interesting crowd. So. Yeah, wow, wow. You're listening to The Profile with me, Justin Briley. This week's edition of the show recorded live at Quilcene Bible Church at an event where I interviewed Dr. Phil Fernandez and we'll be back with more of his story, his apologetics and his debates in the next part of today's show. Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95 completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to this week's edition of the show. I'm Justin Briley, sitting down today with Dr. Phil Fernandez, Senior Pastor of Trinity Bible Fellowship and Founder and President of the Institute of Biblical Defence, an apologetics ministry which trains Christians in the defence of their faith. And today's show was recorded in front of a live audience at Quilcene Bible Church in Northwest Washington State. Phil has many books to his name, including The Atheist Delusion and Seven Great Apologists, plus thousands of his talks, sermons and debates are available at Sermon Audio. So before we get back into our conversation, here's an example of Phil in action. I want to close with this, try to answer the question, what difference does it make? Okay, so maybe all the historical evidence is on the side of the resurrection. Maybe Jesus did rise from the dead. Well, what difference does it make? Well, the difference that it makes is if he has risen himself from the dead, that proves his claims to be true. And he, when he cleansed the temple, the Pharisees and scribes said, What authority do you have to do these things? And he basically said, I'll, I'll prove my authority to you. Destroy this temple, kill me, and in three days I'll raise it up again. You want proof of my claims, Jesus said, kill me and I'll rise from the dead on the third day. So the difference that it makes is it proves his claims to be true. And the two claims I want to leave with you, and if you haven't already accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm hoping to bring you to a point of decision here. The two claims that I want to bring to you are, number one, he claimed to be God, and number two, he claimed to be the only Savior that man will ever know. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Some people don't like that, so they make their own Bible and they insert different words and move things around. But that's the way it reads in the Greek. 
The Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus. His name is mentioned in verse 17. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. Jesus is God. He claimed to be God. And number two, He claimed to be Savior. John 14 and verse 6. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Dr. Phil Fernandez there in evangelistic mode. Uh, many more of his uh, talk sermons and debates available, as I said, from sermonaudio.com. I'm Justin Briley, uh, sitting down with Dr. Phil Fernandez for this week's edition of The Profile. And let's get back into our conversation, which was being hosted by Quilcene Bible Church recently in the northwest part of Washington state. What kind of led you to want to really get into this particular area? Because as you say, you could have gone down the, the pastor-preacher route. You could have, mm-hmm. um, you know... I guess, gone into any area of Christian ministry, but you, you've, for some reason, felt called to this very specific one of challenging and debating and being in, engaged with the, the kind of quite hardline atheist secular yeah. crowd. And, and is that because you've seen it growing um, in the time that you've, it, you know, you've been active in this, I, this field? I actually wouldn't word it that way because I actually consider myself a, a pastor right. of a small local church mm. who doesn't have a big enough church to be full-time there. I was full-time for five years, um, and so uh, my tent making is still teaching the Bible and mm-hmm. philosophy and apologetics at a Christian high school. I do some college mentoring online uh, through like Veritas International University mm-hmm. um, out of Southern California. But, but I, I just consider myself, I, I think each pastor has some kind of contribution that he can make to the kingdom of God as a whole mm-hmm. besides his local church. But I'm, I'm much more into the quality discipleship of a local church yeah. and teaching Christian, uh, you know, students at a Christian high school. But then on the side, if I could do some quantity evangelism and quantity apologetics uh, and get the word out to as many people as possible, then you know, yeah, yeah, I'm more than yeah. willing to do that. So. I mean, as you know, I've been involved in the same sort of area you have. For, well, my journey probably goes back about 13 years or so um, that I've really engaged in it. And, and in that time, you know, I, I began my unbelievable show, which brings Christians and non-Christians together for, for dialogue and debate. Um, around the time, that began around the time that Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, came out. Yeah. And that was sort of the, the apex of the new atheism, as it's called, yeah. and lots of people writing best-selling books, Christopher Hitchens, Richard yeah. Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, kind of basically s- sort of dismissing religion out yeah. of hand. Um, uh, lots of, I think it all kind of, went hand-in-hand with the the rise of the internet, uh, blogging, um, and maybe groups that were once separated, you know, um, by geography, were able to kind of unify in that Mm -hmm. way, and you got this very very evangelistic form of atheism emerging from that on the, you know, the bloggospheres, and then starting to put on events and and everything. Um, And and it's interesting to have seen that kind of really emerge in this century, really, um, since, you know, since around the year, I guess, 2000, the early 2000s. Um, What do you think, having seen that happen and having been part of the debates and discussions around that with some of the leading figures in that in that world? What's your sense of where that's where that's gone? What what what's the church learned along the way as we've been presented with this new challenge of this quite dogmatic and. forceful form of yeah. atheism that wants to kind of get yeah. its message out yeah there. i think traditional atheism was a kinder gentler atheism this the new atheism is militant so it's it's not considered an outrageous statement for richard dawkins and the god delusion to refer to teaching children about god as child abuse mm. well i'm sure richard dawkins want child wants child abusers behind you know locked up mm. so what does that imply yeah. And I think what the new atheism is, is actually it's a product of, I think, two things. 9-11, mm-hmm. and they just group together. Everybody who believes, yeah. you know, they separate atheists. You know, they have nothing to do with the, <laughs> the, the, the Soviet Union, you know, and have nothing to do with Chinese uh, uh, Marxism. You know, all the, the, the nearly 100 million people that were slaughtered, that's got nothing to do with it. We're a different kind of atheist. <laughs> Yet they'll group together, you know, the Roman Catholic Inquisition, um, the, the, Islamic the, extremism. Yeah, so so nine eleven. Yeah. That's people who believe in God did that, mm. 
And so they're acting, you know, you would think that Christians were flying planes into buildings. You would think in Nigeria Christians were killing Muslims left and right when it's the exact exact opposite. So I think you had that, but I think you also had a, an impatience on the part of atheists. They've controlled philosophy departments and many science departments of so many universities in America for so long, and they have still yet to win over mm. The American population, so it, it was kind of... Um, I think there's been a kind of sense of surprise that religion hasn't gone away yeah. yet. And, and so there's yeah. an impatience. Yeah. There's like, look, look, we know this is stupid. Mm. We know this is foolish. Why do we pretend that these are good people and intelligent people if, if they're not ready for this, this new era? Um, you know, we, we, need to, we need to take, take some action here. So, and, and it's always... The philosopher will never say, well, we need to outlaw this or outlaw that. Or They always leave that to the atheist lawyers or, or whatever. But I see that as a big impatience. I saw that at Princeton even in, in um, uh, 2001 when I took the debate there with Elliot Ratzman that the discussion was not, is Christianity true? Mm. The discussion was, is Christianity tolerant? Mm. And in the rest of you know, the... Traditional tolerance was freedom of religion, freedom, mm. freedom of speech. Mm. The new tolerance is all beliefs are equally true, all behaviors equally wholesome. Oh, by the way, if you disagree with us, we can't tolerate you. Right. Yeah. And so it's intolerance yeah. masqueraded as tolerance. And so I, 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 I think that's one of the things that's going on. Um, well, one of the things I noticed, a new aspect of the new atheism as opposed to the older forms of atheism was they were not only saying we believe religion is untrue it's also evil it's harmful. And, that, and that's yeah. where the Hit, the hitchens yeah. and so on where they came out with these very strong polemical books yeah. against religion as you say rather uncritically lumping all religion together yeah. and, and it, uh, because we're not going to defend everything yeah. in islam and we're not going to yeah. you know but but it was it was interesting that that, that was a, a key front yeah. where, where and they it's started a, and that's a very religious statement a very yeah. dog it's a sam harris slams dogmatism time and time again and doesn't even realize every time he's slamming dogmatism He's making a dogmatic statement, and so it's like Bertrand Russell, you know, the the atheist of uh, died in I think believe nineteen seventy, but he said uh, he said that um, my skeptical friends are right to be opposed to dogmatism, but they don't realize that in their skepticism they're being as dogmatic mm. about their skepticism. Mm. towards dogmatism. They're being as dogmatic mm. as a dogmatist. Yeah. So Bertrand Russell said we need to play the middle of the road. My question for Russell would be, though, are you dogmatic mm. Mm. that we should play the middle yeah, of the yes. road? Because yeah, if he says no, then who cares? If, you're not, <laughs> if you don't passionately believe it, then it's a, you uttered a nonsense statement. <laughs> but if you're dogmatic about it, then my thesis here would be if you're human, you're dogmatic. Right. So the issue isn't are you dogmatic or not. The issue is whatever it is you're dogmatic about, is that true? Yeah. Is that good? Is mm. that beautiful? Mm-hmm. So when when you are presented with uh, an atheist in, in one of these debate settings, um, and they're you know pounding on religion and they're telling you why they think it's wrong, what what's your approach? Do you um, do you kind of try and answer every point they're bringing up, or, or is there a strategy you have for for the way you bring across your case for God and for Christianity? And, and would you sketch that out briefly for us? Yeah. Well. Um... I just try to approach it as like, you know, an intellectual dialogue, my opening statement, his opening statement and all. I actually don't like um, a cross-examination because people, I don't know why, for some reason they get the impression I'm yelling right. when, and, and I'm, I'm being polite. Even when you're going like this. It, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, but, so every once in a while I'll reluctantly agree to, to do that, but I kind of like the way the debate ran last night. Yeah. I, I think that's a real yeah. good setting. But there is a thing called question bombing. Mm. See, it's much easier. It's much. You could live in a glass house and throw, as long as you're throwing rocks at everybody else, but you don't give your address out. In fact, this is what I accused Michael Martin of doing in 97. But, uh, you know, as long as rocks don't come your way, you're okay. And, um, and so, um, you know, a little kid could say, well, if God exists, why is there evil? Mm. Okay, mm. how many seconds did it take to say that? Yeah. Probably two or three seconds. To give a really solid answer could take anywhere from 20 minutes to two, a two-hour lecture. Yeah. And so that's the problem with debates. Like William Lane Craig says that do not judge his scholarship by his debates. Mm. Debates are all about time management yeah. and communication yeah. skills. Yeah. 
you want to judge his scholarship, look at the 60-page peer-reviewed papers yeah, that he's writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you can get through one of them, you're, yeah. you're a <laughs> you scholar well. <laughs> yourself. But um, so, uh, so I think that the big problem is uh, for me in, in these is uh, I try to lay out my, my thesis, which we like when I'm arguing for God's existence, it's a cumulative case for God. And I just argue that theism is more reasonable than atheism when we look at several common aspects of human existence and human experience. And, and I've never had anybody take me on. They act like I'm, I'm doing individual argument. When it's just like it's a cumulative case. Mm. If the universe had a beginning, like scientists are telling us, what's more reasonable, that God created it mm. or nothing created it? Mm. If, um, if we seem to find design and order in the universe so that scientists come up with the anthropic principle... Is it, is it uh, more likely the universe was fine-tuned for life on the planet Earth? Or is, it, is that just a coincidence? You know, and, and as we go through all of these, human reason, the validity of human reason, C.S. Lewis argued mm. so effectively for that, and, and morality. Uh, I think that the Bible paints a picture of the world that's true to reality, and atheism doesn't. And, uh, and so, uh, so I present my case... And uh, at the same time, I have to watch out for the question bombing. When they drop yeah. a lot of questions, more than I have time to answer, can I group five or six of them yeah, together yeah. and answer in a sound bite and then move on to yeah. something else? Sometimes I just look – I used to look at the audience, and this gets tougher to do because I – students today at college campuses are not, are not being taught how to critically think. Mm. When in, in 2000, there were still, you know, you make a good point, and they, you mm, could see mm, their nonverbal communication that they would embrace that point. But, um, and so sometimes I look at the crowd, and, and if, if a guy raises a real bogus objection, I look at the crowd, and they all, they're all rolling their eyes. It's like, all right, I can save some time. They don't need me. They don't need <laughs> Phil Fernandez to, to refute that baloney. They got their baloney detectors uh, yeah, on yeah. for that. So, yeah. but uh, I, I was going to say, it was interesting hearing you say that. The, the approach you take is often your aim is simply to show often a sceptical audience that it's more reasonable to believe in theism, Christianity, than, than atheism. Yeah. Because in my experience, having done my show over several years, I came to see that that was a really helpful approach, yeah. that very often Christians go into these things kind of buying into the assumption, yeah. which we'd often be, be led to believe, that somehow the Christian has all of the weight of the evidence to bear that the atheist yeah. is just coming in as the, the neutral person. Yeah. I don't have any beliefs, so you've, yeah. you're the one with the beliefs. You, yeah. you've, I've, you've got to convince me, and I'm just a kind of neutral bystander yeah. waiting yeah. to be convinced. But in fact, actually, yeah. the vast majority of atheists do have a certain number of beliefs. Mm. They have a worldview. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, we, they often call it something like naturalism or materialism, yeah. that all that exists is you know, the natural yeah. forces in the universe, uh, in material stuff. And, of course, that has all kinds of interesting repercussions and, yeah. and outcomes and, and things. And so I, I, I always tend to frame it now, and I think it's more helpful to do this, is to say, look, you're, you're being asked to choose between two yeah. different worldviews. Yeah. And what yeah. we've got to ask is which of those two worldviews, Christianity yeah. or atheism, is best supported yeah. by the evidence. Yeah. And that, I think, helps people to reframe the yeah. debate and realize they're not sort of the one having to provide all of the answers. Exactly. The atheist has a whole lot of answers yeah. to, to questions that yeah. they have to answer as well about yeah. whether their, their position yeah. makes sense. In, in my cumulative case, too, I, I say this, let's take it out of the criminal courts. I don't have to prove my case beyond all reasonable doubt. Um, you, you wouldn't show up if you didn't have a worldview here. So let's go mano y mano. I even told Michael Martin, stop. I call it a fallacy of piling on. He'd say, well, <laughs> that argument could cause, could could also be used to uh, to prove polytheism or deism. It's like, dude, you're an atheist. Mm. Don't yeah. I'll debate your polytheist <laughs> friend on Tuesday, and you know, and the deist on on Wednesday. But you know, if it proves any kind of a god, you lose. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and and that's another thing is too is spotting red herrings. Yeah. In debates, and there were a few last night from uh, from Michael Shermer. I think people might have caught him. But that's where you try to take people off track. You're not doing well in the debate, so let me see if I could just take another <laughs> bring, bring up another issue. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that, and, that you won't have time to respond. And to, so yeah. you know, bringing up the Inquisition and torture and stuff like <laughs> that. It's like nah, we're talking about miracles here. Let's. Uh, uh, but uh, Betty Tabosh did that to me at Washington State University. Um, he uh, he found some quote. I, I'm actually a young Earth creationist. Me, right. I think me and Richard Howard think the only two evangelical relatively known evangelical philosophers that are still younger. Douglas, 
Gaivet yeah. might be. Okay. I'm not sure, but uh, but it's not. I'm not going to argue for Young Earth at Wazoo, right. you know, Washington State University. So he brought up a quote and wanted me to defend the age of the Earth. I said, I said, Eddie, yes, I'm a Young Earth creationist, but it's got nothing to do with this debate. Yeah. This debate is, does God exist? Yeah. So if it's uh, theistic evolution. I win, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> if it's uh, old earth creationism, I win. If it's young earth creationism, I win. I said, heck, Eddie, if it's Hinduism, I win. I said, come on, Eddie, let's get back in this debate, you know. And, uh, and, and, and then there were some counter-cult Christian guys in the audience. They got mad because right. they wanted me to do a debate on right. the age of the earth. Right. I'm like, yeah. not at Wazoo. I'll do that in a church. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think that's really helpful, though, because you're someone who knows that you've got to choose your battles wisely oh big time and, and there's there's certain things you can do effectively in a yeah. debate setting and there's other things that you've got to say no we need a whole separate debate on yeah. that and i'm not going to try and you know because and, and these yeah. things sometimes get used to try and drag you yeah. off the main yeah point yeah, if you like and, I, and, i've had brilliant guys i had a brilliant guy with a phd degree in some kind of en- engineering and he said in the barker debate i didn't like your answer this is the way you should have answered him and as soon as he started talking, I looked at my watch. And when he got done talking, I looked at my watch. And I said, well, thank you. That's a great answer. I wish I could have given it. But I had two minutes to respond to that question. You just took 27 minutes. <laughs> and so, uh, so it's real easy. Somebody in the audience say, man, I could have done that. I could have been up there. I could have. Hey, last night, Luke Vanaway, when he had two minutes, he, 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 he painted a beautiful yeah. portrait in two minutes. And yeah. that's what you got to do. And, and that's the big difference. Um, between kind of the theory and the reality of when you're in that debate setting. And not everyone's called to that because no. not everyone is, is, is naturally inclined towards that. And other people, you know, they'd much prefer thinking about things, writing yeah. them down, maybe responding yeah. online or whatever. Yeah. There is a certain art to doing the debate. And, yeah. and, and it's great to see that, that you're someone for whom that obviously appeals and, and you, you can do that. Um, but for the average Christian, you know, they're not going to be going up against a Michael Shermer or, a, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, all these guys that you've debated. What's, yeah. what's your advice to someone sitting in the chairs today and the person that they know mm-hmm. who's an atheist or sceptical is maybe a cousin or a son or a daughter who's walked away from faith or um, a neighbor or, or whatever it might be yeah. they just have someone in their life who they think yeah. I, I can't be Phil Fernandez yeah. but what can I be what where yeah. do we begin when yeah. we're in we're, we're in this situation yeah well first Peter 3:15 we're all called to make a defense of the faith so is apologetics is not an option we've got to do it but the level that you do it at that's between you and the Lord that's the what God's called you to so it might just be conversations but i would say everything's got to begin with prayer you got to genuinely love the person sometimes the most effective way to lead an atheist to christ is buy him a cup of coffee <laughs> sit down and get to know him you know really just love on people I mean, that's, what, that's what jesus did he just loved on people and uh if they ask you a question and uh, you know the answer give them the answer and if they don't accept it it doesn't mean it was a good answer uh, it wasn't a good answer. It could mean they're just not ready for the truth. Don't forget, Jesus said, you know, Don and Thomas said, show us the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Later that night, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, said, what is truth? And Jesus didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. So one guy was ready for the answer. One guy wasn't. And so you got you to wake up in the morning devotionally studying God's word and in prayer so that it, you get filled with the Holy Spirit so that it becomes natural to walk in the supernatural so that the Holy Spirit will give you the right responses. But when they ask you a question, if you, do, if you don't know the answer, do not bluff. <laughs> okay? Tell them, I don't know. And then you can close your eyes and open them, and, and they're not shocked. Oh, <laughs> you don't know something. I've never met a human who didn't know something. No. They, they might be shocked because it might be the first time they met an honest human. Uh, but, but just say, I don't know, but you and I can find out. And keep the you, conversation yeah, going. Yeah, so maybe Luke yeah. Vanaway, you guys, the two of you get coffee with Luke, and if it's a really tough question, bring Hans too. Um, but, but if you they, need some muscle, yeah, bring they, Phil. You know. and, and, and they've told me they have lots and lots of free time, so they're more than willing to. No, and, but, but if they're busy, there's this thing. I've heard of it. I've never been there, but I've heard of it. It's called the Internet. And, uh, and there's bad sources on there, but there's some good sources and so you need to do your homework. If you love your, your, your friends or relatives enough, do the research. Research with them. 
and um, get in a dialogue with them on it. You take them to, to your pastor. I've, I've had people who just didn't know what to say, and they just invited, invited the guy to church, and they just came to church. And I had one guy come to my church once, um, and his, his wife and his daughter cried all the time because uh, um, he wouldn't come to Christ because he didn't believe the Bible was historically accurate. Mm. And so I sat down and met with him at their request, and uh, and he said, no, no. He said, I got no problem with Jesus. I said, well, so you believe Jesus is God the Son, become a man, died on the cross uh, to save you from your sins? He took your punishment for you and rose from the dead on the third day? He said, yeah. I said, well, what's your problem? He says, well, I don't think the Bible, I think the Bible's got some errors in it historically because I'm a student of history. So I said, well, you know, why don't, uh, why don't we pray for you to trust in Jesus for salvation, and then I'll recommend some some good books for you and um, on archaeology and history and stuff like that. And he said, sure, that'd be great. And um, and then three months later, I got with him and and said, hey, his name was Adolf. I said, hey, Adolf, um, so you want to talk any of these historical problems in the Bible? And he got all red and embarrassed, and he said, I didn't know what I was talking about back then. <laughs> and so, so he was like not only a Christian, but I was a full-blown inerrantist, you know, so... Uh, so sometimes, uh, you know, people are asking questions because they want answers. Mm. And, uh, and other times people are asking questions just because they want us to look foolish. And it's at those times that, you know, just buy them a cup of coffee, love on them, pray for them. But uh, don't waste your breath on people who aren't open. When I debate atheists, I assume they took the debate. They're probably not open. They've got to, you know, the dog's got to die. They've got to lose their job before they're going to consider Christ. <laughs> but there's a whole lot of people in that audience. That might be open. So people, I teach you a Bible, men's Bible study, Barnes and Noble. If you want to commute from uh, from Great Britain, at mm. Barnes and Noble in Silverdale, uh, Saturday, uh, Wednesday nights at seven p.m. I'll over be there. there. Yeah. And and <laughs> and guess what? You know we have fifteen guys in the coffee area, and I'm teaching Bible study. But if you're going there for coffee that night, you're gonna hear. Uh, a Bible lecture by Phil Fernandez because I'm loud, yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and so we've had people who've actually moved a few seats closer, and we've had people get up and storm out. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but people are listening, and so it's not just the person you're talking to. In fact, there was somebody that was uh, witness to a guy, and the guy rejected everything, and thought it was just a total failure. And then found out a few years later that the guy said, uh, some other guy said, you led me to Christ. When was that? And he said, well, I was a custodian, and you were talking with your boss about the Lord, and I was underneath the desk fixing something. He said, I heard the whole thing, man, brought me to tears. Wow. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, you, you never know. Yeah. So he's just, but, wow. but he's just loving Jesus, loving people, the most powerful, yeah. apologetic. Mm. Francis Schaeffer pointed this out, um, you know, in John thirteen thirty five. The world will know that you're my disciples when you have love one for another. And uh, so, you know, could we be better apologists? Yeah. Could we be better students of the word? Yeah. Could we be better students of culture? You bet. But in the end, if we just if we just become experts at love, uh, that'll take us a long well, way. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's yeah. love and prayer, ninety nine percent of the journey. Yeah. And so, apologetics is just that that mop up operation at the end. So. <laughs> It's been fantastic chatting with you, Phil. Can we have a round of applause for, for Phil? Thanks for being with me for The Profile today. I'm Justin Briley. It was a great pleasure to be hosted by Quilcene Bible Church for this special event with Dr. Phil Fernandez. And you can find out more about him and listen to thousands of his talks, sermons and debates at sermonaudio.com. And we'll have another great interview for you at the same time next week. Until then, have a good week.